Before we get started tonight, I want to tell you a little story about a man, his wife, and cranky mother-in-law who went on a vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. Aww. Yeah, good. Let, let's do that again, and then it'll sound great when we edit it together. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it for a while and told the undertaker he would like to have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here and spend only $150? The man said, well, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. All right, while I was thinking about what to teach on tonight, I, I just was trying to think of a title, and uh, all of a sudden this song just started going on in my head. So I thought we're going to teach tonight on under pressure. You know, the word pressure means the burden of physical or mental stress. And with, with what's going on in the world right now, even today, a lot of you are under pressure. And it's like, how do I deal with that? How, how do I deal with all this pressure? Maybe it's financial pressure. We look at the gas prices, which are just ridiculous. I mean, I don't, depending on what size of car you have, it may be 50, 60, 70, 80 dollars to fill up your car, and they say it's only going to get worse as the summer goes on. Some of you, there's relationship pressure. You know, maybe pressure with your family, your kids, your mother-in-law, who knows? And then there's work pressure. So you go to work, and there's demands. They actually expect something of you. They expect you to produce. So all that is going on. We're dealing with pressure. There's wars going on in the world, rumors of wars. The Bible talked about all these things. Now, we can allow the pressures of life to bury us, or we can rise above the circumstances. So as I was thinking about this, Easter is next week. And we celebrate Easter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we look at that word resurrect, it means to raise from the dead. So as Christians, we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That is the key focal point of our belief system. I mean, that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Because the person that we worship, the person we place our trust in, is alive. He's not dead. Mohammed, dead. Buddha, dead. Big grave, dead. All right? All those people, they are dead, but people still put faith in them. But we put our faith in a risen Savior. So that sets him apart. Now, with that said, while it's great to celebrate the resurrection, how many of you know Friday comes before Sunday? 
I said Friday comes before Sunday. So before the resurrection, something took place before that. Friday. We call it Good Friday. I don't know that it was that good for Jesus. But we're going to talk about what he went through before he could become resurrected. So the path to victory comes with a price. So go over to Matthew 26. How many of you brought your Bibles? Let's see your Bibles if you brought them. We love people bringing Bibles to church. All right? Because I want you to see that what we're teaching is in the Word. It's not just an opinion. It's not something we're making up. It is in the B-I-B-L-E. So Matthew 26, we're going to look at verses 36 through 39. It says, Then Jesus came with them, speaking of his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to him, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther, fell on his face, and prayed, O oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, normally we would think of Jesus having it all together, walking victorious, never a care, never a worry in his life. How could he possibly relate to us? We are under pressure. He doesn't get it. But the Bible says here, when he gets to this garden, one of the ways that it describes him is deeply distressed. This is Jesus, Son of God. He is deeply distressed. That means to be troubled. Think about that. Have you ever had trouble in your life? Great anguish and distress, it also means depressed. So here is a man under great pressure. He can relate to some of the things that you may be going through. He, why is he under great uh, pressure? Why is he distressed? Why is he depressed? Because he knows what's going to happen to him. He knows what he's going to have to go through. And as a result of that, he prays to his father, Lord, if it be possible, I'd like a pass on this. All right? I'd rather not have to go through this. Do you have another son sitting around that I don't know about? We can switch places. All right? He said, nevertheless... Not my will, but yours. I want you to think about that statement for a minute. That means Jesus had a will. That means he could have chose not to go through what he was going to have to go through. But he submitted to the will of his Father. When you are under pressure, when things are coming against you, when it seems like you don't know what you're going to do, that's where you pray to the Father and say, Lord, not my will, but yours. I will do whatever you call me to do, no matter what the situation looks like, because I know at the end there's victory. Now, I may have to go through some things to get there, but the end result is victorious. Look at Luke 22 44. 
Luke 22:44 gives us a little bit different slant on what's going on in this garden. A little bit more detail. And this is speaking of Jesus, Luke 22:44, and being in agony. So this is speaking of Jesus being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That word agony means severe mental struggles and emotions. Severe mental struggles and emotions. He is in such agony that the Bible says that he begins to sweat drops of blood. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, but I looked this up. This is actually a real thing that can happen. It's called hematidrosis. And it is a rare condition in which a human sweats blood. It occurs under great physical or emotional stress. Now, I don't know if you've ever been so under pressure that you actually sweat drops of blood, but that's how serious Jesus was in this situation. That is the pressure that he was going through. Now, what some of you may not realize is there is significance to where he sweat these drops of blood. Where was Jesus when this was taking place? In the Garden of Gethsemane. So I want to look at that word Gethsemane for a minute. It is an Aramaic word for oil press. It literally means oil press. So it refers to the pressing or crushing of olives to extract the juice to produce olive oil. Now, those of you who cook know there are different grades of olive oil. And the one that people seek the most is the extra virgin olive oil. Or if you're Rachel Ray, E-V-O-O. All right? Now, as a result, people want the extra virgin olive oil. Why? Because the most pure oil comes from the first press. So you are getting the purest oil from that first press. Now, you can continue to press the olive and get more oil from it, but that first press is the purest. In the Garden of Gethsemane, which we will now refer to as the Garden of the Oil Press, Jesus sheds his first drops of blood for you. A lot of times we think of, okay, he shed his blood on the cross, but we miss the significance here in the garden where he is shedding the first drops, the purest drops for you. It is in this garden that, this, that he is first pressed and the purest first drops of blood are shed. Now here's the significance. These drops are a result of what he chose to do, not what was done to him. It is in this garden that he makes the decision to follow his father's plan. He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. 
And you could say right here and then, when those drops of blood are shed, he has begun the redemption for mankind. Because he has made a decision to go forward. He is then able to endure betrayal, public humiliation, torture, and execution because of the decision that was made in that garden. Now, after that, he is arrested. He is taken before Caiaphas, the high priest. The Jewish rulers decide that he is guilty, and then they take him before Pilate. Go over to Mark 15, 15. Mark 15, 15. Now, Pilate does not really want to accuse Jesus of a crime. So there is a tradition that you can release one criminal, so he allows the decision to be made by the public. He has Barabbas, who is a thief, a criminal, and Jesus, and the people overwhelmingly choose Barabbas. So in Mark 15, 15, it says, So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Jesus not only is under pressure in the garden, but now he is going to endure a whole nother pressure called scourging. So I want to read to you medically what goes on during the scourging process. The Romans first stripped the victim and tied his hands to a post above his head. There was then a whip made of several pieces of leather with pieces of bone and lead embedded near the ends. Two men, one on each side of the victim, usually did the flogging. The Jews mercifully limited flogging to a maximum of 40 stripes, but the Romans had no such limit. The following is a medical doctor's description of the physical effects of flogging. The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy throngs cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subconscious uh, tissues, producing first and oozing blood from the capillaries and veins of the skins, finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. Talk about someone under pressure. He knew what he was going to have to do, and he went through that for you. Now that by itself, you would think, would be the end. But then he has to go and be crucified. Go over to Mark 15, 24. Mark 15, 24. Following the scourging, it says, and they crucified him. That 
brief little portion of a sentence has so much more to it. Men condemned to die by crucifixion were customarily required to carry the heavy wooden cross piece on which they would be nailed to the place of execution. Jesus started out carrying his cross, but it proved to be too much for him. The cross piece usually weighed 30 or 40 pounds and was usually strapped across the shoulders. One can hardly imagine the pain caused by the rough, heavy beam pressing into the lacerated skin and muscles of Jesus' shoulders. The scourging of blood so weakened him that he could not go on carrying the heavy crossbeam. So they had to grab somebody else to finish the job. Simon, who was that person, when they got to the place where he would be crucified, is ordered to place the cross piece on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels the depression at the front of the wrist, and he drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexation and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurs. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. See, part of what would happen on the cross is in order to take a breath, you had to push yourself up to take that breath in. And it became more and more difficult to do that. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon monoxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rendering cramps, 
intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep, crushing pain deep in the chest as paradochyme slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over the loss of tissue that fluids reach a critical level in the compressed heart as he is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured young lungs are now making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The body of Jesus is now in extremis, and he can feel the chill of death creeping through the tissues. His mission of atonement has been completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. All this that I just mentioned is recorded with the simple words, and they crucified him. Here is a man under great pressure. You may be going through pressure in life, but obviously nothing compares when we look at what Jesus had to go through. Why would he do that? Why would he possibly endure all of that? He's the son of God. At any moment, he could have said, time out, forget it, I'm done, I don't want to go through this. Look at Isaiah 50, verse 7. Isaiah 50, verse 7. It says, for the Lord will help me. This is a prophecy about Jesus. For the Lord will help me, therefore... I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. The reason why Jesus could go through what he did is revealed in this scripture. He said, I set my face like flint. That is a phrase back then that describes an unwavering to persevere in the excruciating task set before him. What has God called you to do in this world? And are you ready to fulfill it no matter what the circumstances, no matter what comes upon you? Jesus said, I am going to complete the mission that I came to do regardless of what comes upon me because he set his face like flint. This expresses his complete confidence in God, declaring that he will not shrink back from his mission despite severe suffering, opposition, and humiliation. All of us, I'm sure, have experienced some kind of pressure in life. Maybe you're experiencing some things right now in your life. But again, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did for us. When we become Christians, 
we become followers of him. That means that we give up our will to do his will. Are you willing to do what God has called you to do on this earth? Let's look at one last scripture. Go to John 19. John 19, verse 30. So Jesus said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The last thing Jesus says before he dies is, it is finished. What does he mean by that? He is saying that he has completely and perfectly fulfilled the will of God on this earth. God is asking you to do the same thing. You were born with a purpose. You were born with a destiny. You were born to do something great for God. And he's asking you, will you complete it? Will you get to the end of your life and say, I finished the course. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. I finished. Pressure is going to come and go in all of our lives. And some of you may be under pressure right now. Satan is trying to defeat you and get you to give up what God wants for your life. Will you be like Jesus? Set your face like flint and finish what you were called to do. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Here's the amazing thing. He paid the ultimate price because he wants to spend eternity with you. Think about that. He wants to spend eternity with you. 